0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host hello and welcome to the long talk uh, today i have the pleasure of having tony lewis the ceo of uh, tasman rugby um for a chat um tony welcome how are you doing
1: yeah, good very good how are you I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Where, the, uh, where's your bubble?
0: Well, my, my bubble is currently in Hamilton. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, well, actually, actually, it's nice and sunny outside for 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 a change. It's been a bit, bit wet, wet and rainy over the last few days. Cool. The uh, are you getting some much needed rain down in Tasman, or is it all? Or you've uh, no, no, all?
1: beautiful, sunshiny days every day.
0: Oh wow, and it's one of those things you look outside and go, oh, we we could be doing so much, but <laughs> um. So I was wondering if we could uh, take it take us back as to your first kind of memory in rugby.
1: Yeah, my first memory in rugby is uh, a long, long time ago. There used to be a a man called. She um, uh, just me think of his name. Arnold Mannion was his name. Uh, he coached Otago to beat the Lions in nineteen fifty
0: nine,
1: and and he was a manager of the. Uh, target team and a stalwart of the Dunedin Rugby Club, which is the the Catholic club in Dunedin. I went to a Catholic school, and every Saturday morning he would take the boys from the and boys only, I'll say, um, from the ages of about um, seven, eight, and nine to Kettle Park by the beach there in Dunedin. And for one and a half hours, he would have anything between fifty to one hundred and fifty kids. We just did rugby schools, and we did sidestepping, swooping. We never played games. I remember playing a game at the end of the year, but we learned all the skills of our, our high um, hand-eye coordination, um, dodging, striking skills with the kicking a ball. And it was just the most incredible experience of this man who had been, and this is through the early 70s, this man had been an incredible coach in his own right and a steward of rugby within the, within the province, would take his time out to take all of us through and from that group, many, many people went on to play for Otago and things like that. And That's my first rugby experience uh, to learn the game. My first rugby experience playing was actually playing for my school, St Edmunds against Southern in a curtain raiser to a senior club match. And as a chief executive, I'm always trying to get our Marco games as have curtain raiser with kids because that's where I remember the first time playing. So those are my two experiences. Uh, I've been very fortunate to grow up with a, Incredible man who taught those schools at such a young age. Um, we never—he never was angry. He never got frustrated. It was all about catch, pass, kick, step, um, put people on hold, play what's in front, and it's the basis
0: of rugby. Wow! And it sounds like he was well ahead of his time because I was talking with uh, Junior Fasilofer, uh just a couple of days ago, and he was talking about how he was um, his first experience was as a well nearly five-year-old or four-year-old playing full-contact rugby. Um, they're just yeah. running around hitting each other so it's a uh, wow he was I say, ahead of his time by the sounds of things
1: he was ahead of his time and I think if you're, if you're a good historian at rugby look back and read in the 1959 uh, when he coached Otago um, to beat beat the Lions um, he was one of the first and I know my father played senior rugby um, he was a senior rugby coach and all he talked about was playing what's in front of you moving the ball um, and he was he was an incredible man um, to, take, to have the foresight to realise no one can play any contact sport unless they've got the
0: skills. Yeah, yeah, very true. Looking at your uh, your CV, you've you've been around a few places. How far did you make it as a uh, as as a rugby player?
1: So from my perspective, I played for every New Zealand team, bar a test match. Cool. Um, so so I played for everyone, bar playing for the All Blacks. Um, probably the high, two highlights would be. Um, Playing for the university The highlights for me would be playing for the university rugby club In First year at a high school In Dunedin um, I played David Kirk in the team David Halligan, Warwick Taylor And as a young winger on the wing I scored a lot of tries as an 18 year old But I didn't really do much, just catch the ball and put it down So that's one highlight To learn to play rugby for fun And playing at the university was great And uh, it didn't go down well With the family who all stalwarts of the Dunedin rugby club but from my perspective, I was a winger, and that was the way to go. Played for Otago, which I always dreamed of um, being blue and gold. Even now, when the of 10 Cup draw comes out, I look for Otago first, uh, even though I'm the Chief Executive of, of Tasman, which is bizarre. Um, and then played for New Zealand schools, New Zealand Colts. Uh, played for the South Islands, um, which was one of the few guys who wasn't an All Black. Um, so it's good to see the North-South guy coming back in, in the All Black 7. So... Had a fair old crack at it as a rugby player, but at the age of 23, um, all I wanted to do was to be an All Black, and I realised I wasn't going to be an All Black. Um, John Kerwin had come on the scene, and they're going for the big wingers, and while I was relatively quick, uh, simple physics meant that um, force times mass equals acceleration, I was going to lose, and so at the age of 23, 24, I decided to go on an OE for a year and end up spending 10 years in London and reliving my um, reliving my university years And luckily to meet Ian McGeek And then end up coaching with him for two years uh, Professionally in England So I've had a really good um, time with rugby I, I feel privileged that rugby's given me everything I've got Whether it's the job I currently have Or the opportunities that's opened up around the world
0: Yeah, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile You've been, You were um, a PE teacher at uh, St Paul's in uh, it's uh, In Barnes uh, I used to live right next to Barnes train station. Um, so, um, the, uh, was, was that where you were with Geach or who? Or, or
1: no, no, so I coached, um, so I, when I arrived in, um, in London, it's a quite funny story. Uh, I, um, I took a couple of years to get there, just went through the America's Cup, traveled through Asia, ended up in China, I had uh, Black Friday where I lost all my money on the stock exchange. I had to get to London quick to earn some dough and I was looking around for a job, and I was a qualified teacher and I applied for a head of soccer at St. Paul's and Barnes. For those people who don't know, it's probably the number one academic school in, in Britain. Mm-hmm. And the headmaster is called the high master. That, uh, then the, he interviewed me and he, um, he was a great bloke. And he told me about the school and he said rugby is really important. So you can coach the soccer team, but soccer play after, after um, January, you do the first fifteen. Um, before um, Christmas, so I coached the first 15 We had a we weren't a great rugby school, but we had a couple of really good years coaching with an ex-English international called Liz Barlow, um, and a guy who was the captain of Saracens, um, Liz, uh, Floyd Steadman. And we had a great couple of years, and I introduced a few things different that we had done before. And a couple of guys made New Zealand, uh, made English schools, and Ian McGeekin got appointed as the coach after the Lions in 1993 of London Scottish. I got a phone call out of the blue saying that he heard some of the stuff I was doing in coaching at school level. Let's catch up. And we did it for two years together. And then he got a professional gig in 95 with Northampton. And I decided at that stage, as much as I love coaching, I much prefer to coach the kids than I do to coach adults who uh, um, maybe suffer from illusions of grandeur at times and not playing <laughs> for the right reason.
0: Well, yes, there was certainly that. And then you came home to, uh, up to uh, well, not home really, but back to Auckland and did some, and uh, you've been around New Zealand for a bit as well. You got to Auckland, then down to Canterbury, across to doing some cricket stuff in Australia.
1: Yeah, um, I, I come home, and I I, I home, and because I I had worked as a teacher, and that was my qualification, even though I'd done a couple of different degrees. Um, I got to the stage where the thing about teaching I hated the most was fellow teachers, um, <laughs> and I just decided it was an opportunity to. Um, to move away from that space um, and do something different, I was very lucky that Cricket Australia had made this idea of um, working how to manage the contracted Australian cricketers um, away from player managers and stuff, and they set up. They wanted to set up a welfare program for one of a better term, um, and I got offered a job working for um, Cricket New South Wales, but under under the Cricket Australia and managed the Australian cricket team contracted group and the New South Wales contracted group for eight years and my golf handicap dropped immeasurably because I had to meet them in my office Was was or go to a course and it was always a golf course and uh, just had a marvellous time and learned from the bottom up what was required to um, run a professional sports organisation
0: Yes and that's uh, crickets and has uh, also been professional for a lot longer than uh, the, than rugby has and was one of the things that we've talked about on some of our chat shows is that, yeah, rugby is still a pretty young uh, sp- uh, game or sport as far as professionalism goes. Uh, and it's, it's still going through a lot of growing pains. Yeah, as, it's interesting you
1: say that because um, it's not really true because when I w- took the job in cricket, um, why the test players got paid, the, the um, players below that didn't. And they, most of them had full-time jobs. They were, they were just going to... Um, become full-time sportsmen, I suppose is the right term, instead of cricketers. And so, they've gone through a lot of growing pains as well. But I think the one thing they've done, which is different to rugby, is they've stuck to the models that they know. So, um, they stuck you know, to the Sheffield Shield in Australia. They stuck to the test matches. They stuck to the one-dayers. And then they've watched what the 2020 looks like, but they've positioned it well. So, they've stuck to things they know well. Well, I think sometimes in rugby, um, because it's so, we've gone from no one getting paid to getting paid. Why they went from um, the test players getting paid to, to like to come from the top down. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in rugby, we've sort of jumped a bit, and and we think sometimes more is better. The classic case in cricket was you know they had a fantastic thing called the Big Bash, um, and then they increased more games, and the crowds dropped. And I think rugby, we've just got to work out what we do really, really well. And when we get, when when we understand that, and stick to the model and not trying to um, um, add more to it because we think we're going to get more more money. What you've got to do is add more value to it, and more value is not necessary. More games, it's better games.
0: Yeah, I think also the thing that you say they, they've stuck to what they know and they've, they've added incrementally was um, with rugby. Also, it's kind of like okay, we'll do this, but there's no vision as to maybe what it's going to be like in ten years time. Where are we actually going? And I think that that's probably been part of the why it's been a bit of a windy journey for rugby.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, but to be fair, cricket's pretty similar. You know, if when I first started there, there was no such thing as called 2020, and then it came up and then it was called let's just wait and see. And they waited and you know watched it for a while, and then they realized there's this, this huge thing going to take off. So I think everyone's quite a kind of reactive. I, I, I think. It's a bit like running a rugby union. Lots of rugby unions over time have bought businesses and bought pubs. The one thing that we're quite good at doing in Tasman is we're not too bad at running a rugby union. Mm -hmm. And the idea of diversifying scares me because, A, I don't have the staff who are qualified to do that, and B, that's not what I was employed to do. So what I'm probably trying to get at is in the rugby competition things, look at the competitions that have delivered over time the best rugby players in the world, and that's been since '95, the Mitre Ten Cup or the National Provincial Championship. It's been Super, and it's been the All Blacks, and make sure we understand what player welfare is around game time, training to be better, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when we get that right, we'll be fine.
0: Yeah, well, and the NPC and also the Curry Cup over in over in South Africa as well, that's a similar kind of level, I get of, of of tournament. Also, yeah, 100%. Of,
1: I, I think Australia is going through that now, is where they've tried to replicate New Zealand, but they have great club competitions in Brisbane and in Sydney. You know, I was the chief executive of Ramwick, and that you know, we would get six or seven thousand to a local um, derby game where people standing and having a beer and the barbecues are going. So, you've got to do what you do well in your neck of the woods. And when you look overseas in Australia, look at it and they go, How that MPC looks really, really good. Well, their club competition is better than our club comp because our club comp is just provincial only where theirs is citywide and, and in some cases n- and nationally. So, yeah, just don't don't get too cute is the, probably the one I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah, and that, that, that message of do what you do well uh, just rings bells with um, Major League Rugby as well. What they've done is they, over in the States, they understand that part, part of a match day sports experience for a sports fan includes the trailer park, party, um, and all those bits as well. And you can't, you can't, so they've taken their culture and added it to rugby, which I think is a good way of, of, of approaching it.
1: Yeah, we're lucky that we played uh, Houston and um, um, Seattle this year, the, the Marcos, we played them over there in uh, January. Yep. And I know the players are blown away by the national anthems and the fireworks and and how it was an event and people come to it and it was, you know, and the fact that when we did the New Zealand national anthem, they put it through a recording, but when they did the American national anthem, it was sung live. Um, and so it was, it was, it was a really cool experience. Um, but you know, it's an interesting thing is because all those clubs over there, they're, they're basically insolvent and they're owned by billionaires who bail them out all the time. Um, and, and so, the key for rugby is to work out how we can make sure we can run these competitions and that we can run them well, that the public engage with them and new customers want to come along and and be part of it, but also make sure we're working within our means, which is the million dollar question.
0: Yeah, that's it. And I think that's one of the messages that's sort of going round from some of the the top administrators is here's a chance to reset and to try and Put together a structure that uh, that does mean that we can stay within our means, rather than basically paying players more than more than we can afford. I think is really what what's happened in in most countries. Um, yeah, to be that's,
1: fair, yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, if you you've got directors in your business um, and you're trading insolvency, last time I looked, it was against the law. Um, so you know. Maybe that's where we've got to get ourselves to an understanding um, that we're small businesses that must follow the correct procedures and, and not trade, for the want of a better term, above our means.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the problems we've had, uh, and I um, was chatting with um, I've gone blank, uh, the CEO of both uh, of Plenty, um, uh, but one of the things you, you, that we're seeing because of the, the private investment is that these guys are used to—you better have twelve or thirteen chairmen in, in the Gallagher Premiership are all used to being the boss of their company, where people don't say no to them, um, and try putting them all into one room and get them all to agree is very difficult when you've got that many uh, uh, that that many cooks all trying to cook with different recipes, um, yeah. uh, which is yeah a, a, a hard thing. So you mentioned there that um, that's that's not what I'm. That's not what I'm hired to do with Tasman. So what, what is the role of, uh, of, of, of running Tasman Rugby? Is what's the kind of mix between community, club-based and then high performance and, and how do you mix that up? And and also finance, yeah. I guess.
1: Yeah, so from our perspective, uh, when I took over um, six years ago now, um, we were, um, our vision was to be a good provincial union. And the word good is a bit like the word nice, She's a nice girl. I've never described a girl as a nice girl. She's absolutely outstanding or what. So we decided to reboot our business. And, and from 2014, our visions be to be a, um, a top four provincial union under any criteria. Okay? So that includes academy space. That includes um, sponsorship. That includes um, profitability. That includes performance, number of super players, um, all blacks etc etc and then go after big events because we want to be top four so a big event for us in 2014 would maybe be a a super game when one was available um, and they weren't that much around and we never ventured too far from what was what we were given so We've really pushed that boat, and everything. We judge ourselves. We don't judge ourselves on where we finish in the competition. We judge ourselves that we're top four provincial union under any any criteria. Um, and sometimes this year, for example, in two thousand and nineteen, um, when we did our scoreboard, it was to win the Mod ten cup. So that was it. It was no make the semi-finals. So we 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 move that number four criteria around a little bit. So. We've worked tirelessly from the time I've come in and I'm very fortunate to have an outstanding group of staff around the club rugby space. If your base is not right, you you can't buy a team. And so one of the cool things about the Tasman Marco over the last couple of years is is there's been our connection with our our community. I think the standard of our club comp is comparable to anything in the country. We played three of the top Wellington teams pre-season this year, club teams, and I think we won three out of three. Well, it might have been three out of four we played four so when we first when I first started here one of the lower Wellington teams played our top team and did them over by 40 points so we've worked really tirelessly on that we've also worked on our relationships we had a dysfunctional relationship with Canterbury and Crusaders now I'd say is that we uh, it's a fantastic relationship it's not of them and us we work together and we established um, the Crusader Academy with Canterbury and that's given us a opportunity to stop losing the talent so we used to lose all the decent players out of Nelson, they'd head to Canterbury, then they were going to Waikato um, so out of the Tasman region Artu Moley um, um, James Lowe uh, Liam Squire um, Alex Nankerville all went up and played for the Chiefs um, so we thought alright we've got to stop this and since that's that's happened I think they lost Leonard Brown and they lost Damien McKenzie um, oh, Tom Marshall went up as well so we've, we've worked really tirelessly on our key relationships with our clubs and the academy. The, the increase in the standard of player coming to our, our academy now has lifted the club rugby immeasurably. Um, I think our Tasman B team has only lost one game in the last four years, and that plays Wellington, Otago, Canterbury, and Southland. Um, the Marcos the Marco team hasn't done too bad over the last. Um, Six years, I think we had uh, four grand finals and six semifinals, so it's not a bad rate of return, and one, one, one championship. So it's been a, a combination of working on everything together, not just one in isolation. And it's definitely been um, trying to grow our own players, keep them in. So when I say grow our own players, is that um, we might bring them in from high school, so their first experience in senior rugby is through us, okay? Or... A, lot, a number of, I think we had last year in the grand final of the NPC. Uh, we had six players of our club comp who actually played in that final. We had super players on the bench. So it shows you the standard of the player that we've got coming through. We've also um, worked really, really hard at growing our own coaches. So Karen Kane and Leon McDonald deserve a hell of a lot of credit for the fact that um, they worked with me to, ins- to ensure that we could bring the Shane Christies um the Andrew Goodmans, um, the Grey Cornelius is through from either being professional players or through our first 15 space. Um, and at the moment, there's a young guy called Dan, Dan Perrin, who's another young coach coming through as well. So it's been a whole thing approach. At the same token, we've worked that we are, are not um, Wellington, we're not Auckland, and we're not, um, Dunedin, and we're not Waikato. And our sponsors are very much a regional New Zealand. So we've got very much a regional New Zealand. So businesses that are in Nelson our, and, and Blenheim and in the Tasman district, um, they have become our partners. They're great partners. They've been on our jumper virtually the whole time since I've been here. Got a commercial manager who links the players and the coaches with our, with our partners who support us. And so it's been a, a sort of a, a, a whole community approach from Marlborough through to um, the Nelson clubs, through to the, the staff, to the players, to the coaches, that we're on the same page. We want to be a top four provincial union under any any criteria.
0: Wow, a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> where should I start? I, um, that relationship with the Crusaders, uh, and that's, that's one that um, I think we can see through the recruitment of the last couple of years, and the fact that the, Crus- that the Crusaders, I think, well last year, only had one new player from outside of Canterbury and Tasman, um, yep. whereas if you look at the the other super franchises, they're getting players from 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 around the country. So clearly, there's 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 a very tight relationship there. Um, how I guess so. Does that involve the scormists and the coaches coming up and working with you guys? Because um, one of the things I'm aware of as a as a as a minor ten cup team is you try to you've got to run a professional team for basically four four or five months of the year and then where do you all that support staff like the performance analyst all your physios um trainers etc have got then seven months of kind of no work or other work so how how much do they help with you building that support network for a relatively short amount of time each year
1: so we're completely different we run a professional high performance program 12 months a year okay um so significantly different uh, we employ our Marco coaches, um, so we've got very good relationships with the Hondas and the Crusaders. So we've got two of our head, uh, two head, co-head coaches come from there, Andrew Goodman and Clark Germany. and the other coaches um, work with the Crusaders um, in our academy space or our wider training space. So in our space, we in our, in our academy space, well in the Crusader academy space. The physio, the S&C work in that space, but also work for the Marcos. The analysts who work in that space, also work for the Marcos. Our two Marco coaches, Greg Cornelius and Shane Christie, they work in the academy space with the Crusaders, also work for the Marco. And I suppose from our perspective, and I, I was saying this before, is that no one had ever heard of Shannon Frizzell or Ethan Blackadder. Ethan Blackadder did not play first 15 rugby at school, either David Havili, for that matter. Um, but they've both come through our club system into the academy, and you know, one's become an All Black, one become an All Black one year out of club rugby, um, and no one had ever heard of Shannon. So we work really hard on that. Our job, uh, top four under any criteria, uh, we were um, we had four Super players in 2013. I think we have currently got 24, and the vast majority of them have come through our system. Um, we get the odd one that wants to join us. They've got a couple of new wingers who've wanted to join us this year. Um, But the vast majority, um, close to 90%, have come through our school system, our academy system, our senior rugby programme. And and that has to be a 12-month job. One of the criticisms after 2013 was the gap between the super players and the club players. So when we did a review, the club players said that super players are too good the super players said the club players aren't good enough. So we decided from that day onwards that we had to have a have a, have a, a program that was going to make um, super players. Peter one, who's one, um, Fetu um, from last year, who's now at the Crusaders, is another, Shannon, Parry Parkinson, Isaac Salmon, the list just goes, Alan, um, Andrew Macaleo, um David Avili, um, Mitch no one ever heard of these guys. Um, and so... We believe if we don't drive that program for twelve months, then those guys have got no chance of succeeding when they happen to play for four months as professional players. And I take my hat off to the fact that we had six club players last year playing that final.
0: And so you see, you basically so you're seeing your your, your 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 club system as being a kind of feeder for the, or, or as being part of that high performance pathway, rather than being a community section in a sort of second other half of your your organization as well because
1: it's a combination of both so when i was a player i went to the university club because it was a it was a club that had three all blacks and would make a little 18 year old skinny winger look good okay (laughs) yep simple as that there's no difference now is that the our academy guys need to get involved in club rugby because they've got Grizzly old club players have been there for 19 years to help them develop. They will lift the standard because they're high-quality players and it's a combination of that. They learn very, very quickly if they're if, um, assimilated into a top-quality club competition. Um, and we work tirelessly in trying to keep it even. Um, so if they're contracted, we work to try and share that talent around. It's sometimes difficult. Um, when a number of players are based in Nelson, but we're working hard to rectify that. But if the if our last year, I told two super franchises about um, the the um, Fetu who who was playing in Picton. I told the Hollanders and the Crusaders. I said, "We've got a really good guy here. You will have, have a look at him." And and the Crusaders had a look at him, and the way he played in the might ten Cup, he ended up getting a, you know, a contract. So. I'd like to think that our club comp is crucial for those guys getting up to speed um, to play in the minor 10 Cup and then to get that, that next level.
0: But as you say, also crucial in keeping play, people in the game who have got other jobs and are playing for fun as well.
1: 100%. Yeah. So as I said, it's a combination yeah. of community and both. But um, the local guy that's working you know, 60 hours a week mixing concrete and playing on a, on a sad day. He wants to play with the best players he could possibly play with as well. But he also wants to have that ability that, well, I've got actually 10 years of senior experience here and you're just a young whippersnapper prop straight out of high school. Let me just show you how this is done in my, my neck of the woods. So it's a combination of both. And our, our academy players, they're, they're on a six-day-a-week program um, where, where they work really, really hard. And And, and our wider training group, which sits just either slightly above, or they've graduated from the academy after three years.
0: So the other thing, uh, talking with with Northland, one of their problems is losing players to high school. Uh, well, they have them they all, all, all head down to Auckland for high school. So have you also worked with your the first fifteen uh, teams in the region to stop them all heading off to Christchurch for um for schooling? We
1: well, we've got we we've got three really outstanding schools here in the first fifteen competition at the at the crew crusader level. Um, so one is um, Nelson College which is a very famous rugby school first school to play the game of rugby uh, in the country and then Marlborough Boys very proud school Anton Oliver Jamie Joseph um, R2 Moley who else is in that list the list goes on K. Pokey the list goes on and on and on famous um, Leon McDonald David Hill so very famous rugby school and then there's a And combined school, where we introduced this a couple of years ago, Waimea were sort of always losing all the time. They'd have one good year out of every 12. So we've taken um, a number of schools. Uh, Parents are making decisions to send their kids to co-ed or to Catholic schools or they live out in Mott. So Mochiweka High, Waimea High, um, Garen and Nayland have come up with a combined First 15 team. So those three schools are crucial. Um, and that keeps all our talent here. We lose the odd one. I think we lost a ball to St Andrews last year for his parents. Thought it was a good idea, but I'm very confident in the rugby programs those uh, those schools have. For example, um, White Mayor combined, James Lash, who has been the, the steward of Buller. Um, he was Marco for one game, and he's played the New Zealand Heartland team for the last three or four years. He's the director of rugby and the coach of that, for, that for first 15, and so they're getting... Really good coaching. John O. Phillips, um, he's got an incredible coaching team that includes Kane Haymes um, and Mike Fraser um, at, at Nelson College. John O. Was, worked for the Hurricanes and also Karen And at um, Marlborough, we've got a, a young guy, Matt, who's who've got a very, very good opportunity, Matt McDougall, to be a Marco coach in time. So we don't lose people there. We were losing lots of players the Mitchell Drummonds, the Tom Hills. Um, Etc. down to Canterbury. Um, but since we've got the Crusader Academy going, we haven't lost anyone. But if someone wants to be a lawyer, we would not stop on his way going down there to study, but we'd still contract him from a Tasman perspective.
0: Right, OK, because, uh, again, that's another reason that uh, that yeah, the provinces that have got universities have a different... Um, so provinces that don't have universities can, can often have a different mix of uh, players available to them because, yeah, people want to go to university and, and get something behind them. Talking about that, I guess um, we've got to be clear that the, the the academy has got a big personal development um, piece at, part of it to make all the players make sure they've all got something outside of rugby as well because obviously not everyone makes yep.
1: it. Yeah, so we've got a, yep. we a full time so we've got a female and academy in the Crusader um, academy, and that's managed by a full time um, player development manager, David, um, and that's something that we work really really hard to get right. It's just not making sure they go to university. It's making sure they get the job that they actually want. So we've we've had players, um, Matty Williams, New Zealand Schools prop, um, a couple of years ago, contracted to Tasman, but he wanted to go to university. So we sent him to Lincoln. So he's part of the Crusader Academy, based in Nelson, but going out of Canterbury. Um, He he didn't really want to be there, you know. So he's up here now, and he's working very very hard in that um, in that um, his next phase of life, what that looks like, and he wants to be a carpenter. So he's pushing his way forward. He's in the under-20 mix, or he was. I think he probably was the 10th-ranked prop and got to about four or five. So he was definitely in that mix to go to the World Cup. But he's also now a year into his apprenticeship. So we work hard in that space. I think the best thing we can do, we have this other other mantra, is um, that you know we want good people. Uh, so every decision you make or every time you open your mouth, um, really think carefully about what it's about. Um and we're very lucky. The people we have in our academy space, um, our academy is very linked into everything that happens at the Crusaders, everything that happens at Canterbury and Tasman has joined at the hip. So, from that perspective, the young men and women who go through our academy space are getting the best they possibly can get anywhere in the world.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned that. Yeah, good. all all your, uh, your all your Tasman set up are all part of that academy space. So they all get yeah they're getting professional rugby uh, level people. Um, at a at a younger age, uh, so yeah, clearly it's, it's it's all tied in there. <laughs> Being the youngest uh, cl- uh, sort of province in the um, in New Zealand, any, any sort of started beginning of or end of two thousand five, beginning of two thousand six, um, and yet you've got players that have the logo tattooed on them as as, as part of that. How how's the uh, how's the province gone about building such a strong culture in a relatively small amount of time compared to a lot of the other um, uh, uh, provinces I think I think um,
1: they, I think it's, it's it's as simple as I want to say it and it's as complex as it could sound okay? okay so when they first came to Tasman it was us against the rest of the world okay and so that bought that bond they were coming to Nelson a lot of players were coming from outside the region okay and, and they probably dominated what it was like. Um, and so they, they created that um, Marco, um, it was called the Marcos then, um, that Marco f- passion, we're fighting the world, we're against the world, we're little brother. Um, so that created that sort of incredible, um, what's the word, the incredible desire um, to prove something. But that doesn't create success. What it created was an incredible um, ability for people to get on, fight for what they wanted, um, and and connect with each other. In the last six years, what we've tried to do was say, okay, well, that's great, um, and we really respect history, but if we want to see what history looks like moving forward, we've got to create this dynasty that um, people are, are coming from our schools our local clubs. So we might recruit them out of high school when they come through the academy, but they're coming through our schools. Or um, Lester and Tima, the, t- the t- two brothers, didn't zip down to Canterbury and go to the academy down there. They wanted to stay here. So now they're finding a real, it's a region where White Crockett comes home because it's the first time he, he can get home and thinks, God, why wasn't I there beforehand? Um, you've got staff who feel that they are a marker. Um, you've got board members who are driving that desire that we want to make this really special for the community. We've got sponsorship in both Marlborough and Nelson who live and breathe the team. And they've driven that success over the last um, five years. It, it, it's been started from the bottom and it's been, we've been chucked it together. And now we're putting... You know, we don't mention that we're little brother because we're not little brother we, we, we don't mention that um where we've got our backs against the wall you know last year when we did our uh, um scoreboard we said we're going to win it, it as it was as simple as that any we had to give ourselves a mark out of 20 and it was win so we either won it or we got nothing um and and so and when you're delivering your scoreboards to new zealand rugby they're looking at you like you're half mad but so I think we've gone past that. And I think the second thing is we want to prove to everyone um, that we can do things, you know. The reason we went and got a test match is because I believe that when I rang New Zealand Rugby up, they just sent us an email, generic email out to everyone. Tasman rings up, you know, they, a bit of a giggle down the phone. And we go, well, how much do you make from a test match? Oh, well, we can't tell you. That. That's private information. Bring back two days later. This is what you make from all your test matches, Auckland, da-da-da. We'll promise you. million without a ticket being sold. And that's been our attitude. That's how we've gone about it. That's what we've tried to deliver um, as a union for the last six years, that we're really competitive on on everything we do. And it goes back to that vision of what the vision looks like, top four under any any criteria.
0: And looking at the, yeah, in 2011, Tasman came last, the, the bottom of the championship, so 14th out of 14. Two seasons later, you get promoted the season after that you're in the final um the yes so so that that was that's that big that's that um little brother piece and then you've transitioned from that to we are just good and well not not just that sorry that's 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 a bit bit wrong but that yeah that we deserve to be here and we earn being here rather than being you say that band of brothers kind of piece that initially gave me which is good which is interesting that change um um so
1: it comes that back to competitiveness. My wife, Stephanie, would say that I'm the most competitive person she's ever met. We're going for a walk. I want to be first up the hill. When I used to be able to run before I had been the operations, I wouldn't win every race. Um, and I think 2014, I started in 2013, the end of that season when we got promoted, we um, sat down with Karen and, and Leon and the discussion was, so how can we go, how can we, go up there and not get relegated because everyone went up and got relegated again and the bottom line is is that the three of us were highly competitive and so our our competitive natures whether it's me with the coaches and the staff or whether it's the coaches with the players or the coaches and the staff is that if you've got competitive people who strive for excellence and are not satisfied with just being part of the group then you can achieve anything and I I think a 2011, uh, Liz Edwards, who's our commercial manager, he mentions that that a lot. We come last, and we decide enough was enough. Okay, and we employed two really good coaches, you know, and, and there was and, and Leon and and Karen, and it's really interesting. One used to teach the other at high school, and they
0: become
1: coaches and be highly successful coaches, and they drove a. We're not going to be satisfied with that. Um, you know, when I took over, we, we had very little r- reserves. Now we have a reserves policy and money in the bank so we can survive. So it's a combination of just being, rugby's just not one thing. It's just not club rugby. It's not academy. It's all linked in together. And if one piece of your jigsaw is not right, um, it can fall apart.
0: Now that reserves bit obviously is, is, is key at the moment with COVID-19. How is Tasman rugby coping? Are you, are you having to furlong people or...? Um, or are you managing to keep everything sort of uh, ticking over uh, at the moment?
1: Oh, look, um, COVID-19 is a horrific um, virus for the world. Um, and our part in that is to make sure we follow government policy. Uh, I'll sound like a politician here. Um, <laughs> but, but from our perspective, uh, we've had a board up uh, by Ken Beans, who was chairman for a long time, and Wayne Young, and a a, uh, director, Tony Healy, who was um, uh, his head of um, um, Audit and Risk. And it's always been, let's set up a a, um, a definition of what a reserve policy looks like. Uh, So we set that up. And we've had this term that annoys the hell out of the staff at at times, you know, put hay in the barn for a rainy day. And that's what we've got. Um, We've got enough hay in the barn for a rainy day. We don't have enough for... Two years or three years, but we have mm-hmm. enough to for us to um, be in a position we um, can make some really good decisions about the welfare of our staff. Um, our staff, like most um, companies, uh, have accepted a four-day a week. Um, we get the government subsidy, um, all that sort of stuff. So we're in a position that we can sit um, and protect our staff's jobs, and we can sit and. Watch what plays out over the next couple of months. Um, in provincial rugby land, when you get a good staff member, um, we can't increase their pays by much or at all, but we can make sure that it's a damn good place to work at if you want to work hard. And we, I'm very fortunate for some great staff, and we want to look after them and their families as long as it can. So we've worked hard over the last five years to be in a position now where um, we're not arrogant. We know that um, all our brothers. In provincial unions are at different levels, um, but we're there um, we want to there to look after our staff.
0: Yeah. Um, just one last question, um, and that is, you and Bay of Plenty the only two provinces that have sort of have to handle two locations as yep. far as myrtleton um, uh, Cup games and Farrah Palmer Cup games and, and stuff goes. Actually, sorry, two questions to ask you about women's rugby as well. Um, how much of a challenge is that having those two two locations?
1: Oh, it's not a challenge because it's like an arranged marriage, isn't it? Okay. There's a bit of give and take. So um, the um, agreement, and it's not an agreement written in stone. It's an agreement um, through common sense is that there's two games in Melbourne and there's three in Nelson and the was in one place one year and final in one place the other t- the year and it rotates. So it's no big deal. Um, we're actually this year having going to have three venues. So we're taking a game to Mochiweka, um, where the Crusaders have played a few games in the past this pre-season. And uh, we think we'll get um, 10,000 people to that game. Um, no. it, it's the, hard, the hardest thing with two different groups is that um, we have got an academy based in Nelson and not one in Blenheim. And that's the, group, the Crusaders um, piece. And we have to rectify that in some way. What, what that looks like. Um, so that would be the hardest piece for us um, because obviously the effect that has on the Melbourne clubs is quite dramatic. Um, but what we've seen the last five or six years is the Melbourne clubs have been really, really good at recruiting. You've had um, Waitawi, they've had Ross Gildenhouse, who's now pl- playing for Bay Pliny, they've had Tim O'Malley, uh, they've had Setu um, and there's one, uh, Andrew McAleer from Harlequins um, so they've really recruited well and those guys have come on to be um, Marco players. So it's as difficult as one wants to make it. Um, but I think with, if there's honesty and rugby's always put it the number one priority, we work our way through any of the issues. Um, from a staffing perspective, we've got five staff over in Blenheim and um, then the rest of the staff over, over in, in, in Nelson. Zoom conferencing, we've been using that miles before COVID-19 happened. And it's been a breath of fresh air and changed things for us. So it, work, it works well. Um, I think it makes us unique, um, and I think it um, the passion. I always love to see you. You know, you drive around Blenheim or, 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 or Nelson. The number of Marco rugby tops the kids have got on, and they want to be Marco. They want to be a Marco player, and they love them. And it's it's unique. And uh, having grown up in Dunedin and wanting to be a Targo player. I don't think I've ever seen the passion for provincial rugby in New Zealand that I see in our, our region at the moment
0: and yeah and obviously when I moved here in 2014 and I was like yeah I've, I've, I've been I've been to some provincial games and people said how far have you been outside of Auckland for provincial games like, uh, not much and then yeah when you get outside of Auckland um, yeah you do you do find it's much the yeah the, the passion is, is is definitely still there with that um, Around the, the women's side, uh, you've, obviously, in the, in the Farah Palmer Cup, um, the, obviously, with the Women's Rugby World Cup coming, well, hopefully coming um, next year, uh, that's going to get a lot of focus and a lot of growth. How are you, how, how's Tasman set up for, on on the women's side of the game?
1: So, we're very, very keen um, to be part of anything to do with female rugby. Um, what we've got to do, we're a little bit different than the rest of the world. But, um, in the essence of, the, we don't have a university, a number of our girls want to go and study and want to enjoy the life in the university town. Um, and, and because there's no money, it, it, it makes common sense. Um, so we, we have a complete different view around the Wharapama Cup. Ours is to uh, capture those girls, whether they're rugby girls now or netball girls or hockey girls, and get them into our environment, get them into the academy, show them why rugby is such a great game expose them to the best high performance programs that we can do. And, and we do that and then expose them to the Farah Palmer Cup and then prepare them to go to university or head to the um, the urban cities of New Zealand. So our Mitre 10 Cup, uh, sorry, our Farah Parma Cup team tends to be um, um, experienced
0: ladies or young girls still at school. Right. OK, so I'd say the difference... Uh... Because you don't have that university, uh, and again, it's it's being player centric rather yeah. than rather than being a what can we achieve as as Tasman, it's what can we achieve, what 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 what's the best thing for the for the players, which is a, a refreshing and a, a a very good way to hear um, yeah. that's, that that you're approaching it.
1: Yeah, and we can only approach it that way because we must support the girls who want to go go and study, um, and it's no different. If I've got a fantastic player who's who could make it and he might not make it, but he wants to be a lawyer, then I would never stand in his way because that's not my, my job. My job is to give that kid the best opportunity he can. So he can still be a Marco. Will Jordan wants to be a, a lawyer and he's, he can still be a Marco and a lawyer all at the same time. It's just that we have to be a little bit flexible. In regards to the, the women's game, um, us being in the competition is success. Um, because we were we, it was only four years ago, five years ago, we had three tennis side teams. Now we've got five teams that play for 15s. So, us being the competition success, by giving those girls the exposure as a success, by giving those ladies the opportunity to represent their province as a success. And then we build around the sevens as well. We've had, you know, we've won. A, the plate or the bowl for the last two years in the female so exciting stuff for, for women's rugby and uh, we we really think that uh, we would like to be a re-test match for our rugby um, I think we would get they'd get big crowds and it'll be very good and it looks like I'm going to lose you again
0: yeah it does does um, thank you so much for your time uh, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, and um, thank you uh, said so, yeah thank you for your time